Before we start today's show, I have a quick announcement. The Contenders is launching a Patreon page. This is a place where all our listeners can come to catch up with us, get exclusive content, and if you're so inclined, support us with your presence or even your hard-earned cash. Become a member today and unlock exciting perks like our eternal thanks, the opportunity to pick movies for us to cover, or even the chance to play one of Iceland's games live and on air with us. Plus, every time we get 10 new members, we'll release a bonus mini-episode on the main feed for everybody to listen to. Check it out today at patreon.com slash thecontenderspod. That's p-a-t-r-e-o-n dot com slash thecontenderspod. And now, on with the show. The Contenders is a proud member of the Cage Club Podcast Network. For other great shows about movies and pop culture, go visit cageclub.me. That's cageclub.me. There she is. God, look, she looks so skinny. She looks terrific. What's that thing on her head? It's goddamn bird. It's gonna get angled. So would you spot weld this, Mom? Nobody means what they say on Thanksgiving, Mom. You know that. I can see your roots, Claudia. Welcome to The Contenders, the show about the movies made by and starring women who refuse to play by the rules. I'm Aislinn Addington. And I'm Tobin Addington, and this time on The Contenders, we have a a very special guest, another, but this is maybe even our most (laughs) special guest. (laughs) Our guest tonight is is actor, film connoisseur, uh, extraordinaire, Joe Bolenbaugh. Hi, Joe. Well, hello, Addington. Thank you for having me. Joe was also my freshman roommate. Well, freshman, sophomore, we, we were roommates in college. (laughs) <laughs> yeah, like freshman and a half or yeah, so. Something like that. Yeah. In addition to that, Joe is my longest running and still un- most unrequited crush ever. Oh, my heavens. Oh, wow. Mm-hmm. He's, well, he's so I'm beautiful. I'm flattered. I'm honored. <laughs> just if I to could be objectify nominated. you for a minute. Uh, <laughs> well, this is the podcast to do it on, I think. It's true. I mean, when I walked into that residence hall, um, that faithful day in 1999, I was just, you know, from then on, it's just been, I've just been in, in love with Joe. Oh my goodness. <laughs> well, we haven't seen each other in many years, so your That's tune true. will change. <laughs> I'll, I'll forward a recent picture and you'll, okay. it'll just come crashing always, down. <laughs> always send pics. Also, 99. <laughs> Okay, 97. I don't know. When did you start college? I'm just saying. I, I yeah. mean, that yeah. information doesn't need to be public. We don't Pardon need to me. nail down so, the so, exact year. Since so, the very, very late 90s. Somewhere around the release of this film. Since the edge of the millennium. The, the late 1900s. <laughs> I'm comfortable with that. I mean, you know, since um, young men brought hundreds of VHSs to college... <laughs> that's how long i have had affection for joe bolenbaugh those were the days i do have to tell this story then so Please. so i get to college and i 
get to the dorm and I start to, uh, and, and Joe is there. We don't know each other yet. We, maybe we, I knew that you were Joe. I we think we'd like, they told us the, our, the, the, or their names or whatever, right? Our roommates' names. Yeah. I feel like they send you the name and like where this person is from or That's something right. like that. Very basic information. Very basic information. And so, and this is before Facebook and you could like look people up, like, you know, you have no idea. So I, so we're both there. And my memory is that I reach in and I'm, and I, take out of my bag the first few VHS tapes that I have, of which I have many that I'm going to put up on my shelf. And I look over and Joe pulls out the first VHS tapes that he has and puts them up on his shelf across the room. <laughs> and this thing keeps going until we both have filled our shelves with these VHS tapes, which we would, which we then rented out to other students for a quarter or something to, to get laundry money to do for the, for the rest of the year. Absolutely. It was a great racket. I mean, we were basically the Zuckerbergs of the West Coast. <laughs> we made our millions renting out VHS tapes one at a time yes. to our co-ed dorm with the Japanese exchange students. <laughs> yes. Oh, good times. Good times. Entrepreneurs we were. Right. Which yeah. is why we're all uh, now retired and have the time to do a podcast like this. <laughs> Luxury. Exactly, exactly right. Exactly. Well, if, um, if there's any background yacht noise that interrupts this <laughs> this recording, please let me know. Yes. Um, uh, well, today the three of us are going to talk about the 1995 film Home for the Holidays. I had not seen this movie before. Well, that's not true. We rented it on VHS from Finkies for all our. Bonner listeners. Um, well, why didn't you rent from us, from our dorm room? I mean, that's, I was, that's another yeah. 50 cents we could have. <laughs> yeah. so you're right, because there's a late fee always, right? Um, and so I had seen part of it, but I had not, is certainly not part of my nostalgia. Um, what about for the two of you? What is your history with this film? I think Joe should go because he, he introduced me to this movie. He is my history with this movie. Uh, yeah, so I don't think I saw it in the theaters. Like we said, it's from 1995 or so. But I do remember falling down a Holly Hunter wormhole uh, in my own hometown of Billings, Montana. Um, and just probably got to her through Raising Arizona, mm. through the Coen brothers, and just, of course, fell in love with her. So wanted to get every Holly Hunter movie I could get my hands on. Uh, and this one was one of my favorites. Way better than Copycat with Sigourney <laughs> oh, Weaver. Oh, man. With, and with, um, what's his name? The singer. Harry Connick yes. Jr. Harry Connick Jr. Yes. What's his name? I'm sorry. Another could... longtime love of mine. I got... Amen to that, Iceland. <laughs> what's his name? So sorry. So sorry. <clears throat> so, yeah, I, I remember you had this one on your shelf, didn't you? I mean, we, yeah, we, absolutely. Yeah. I had the VHS. Yeah. I watched my DVD copy last night. Yeah, that is that this that is where I I first saw it in that dorm room. Low those just a few short years ago. Um, Tobin, in the time since you first watched it, and now, have you acquired any um, bits of film history for us? A little bit. There's not a whole lot you can find about this movie, but um, so as we said, this is a, a Jodie Foster directed movie. It's her second film after Little Man Tate, uh, and the, with, with that guy, with that guy whose name you can't think of, with Harry, Harry, Harry Connick Jr. and Little Man Tate. <laughs> What? I'm sorry. That's I'm the sorry. Only to watch it. I'm sorry. I'm sorry. It's just he, wow. Little man Tate to copycat to 
Hope uh, floats, baby. Hope, Hope floats. floats. I didn't know that. One. Yeah, yeah. Well, I, he had a. He was on Will and Grace a couple of seasons. Mm-hmm. I mean, he was the guy. I mean, Welcome I, to the uh, Harry Connick well, Junior podcast, everybody. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, I know who he is. I just did not remember he was a little man Tate. Legitimately, cut that part out. And Iceland and I are debuting the Harry Connick <laughs> podcast. It's a backdoor Harry- pilot. Yes, Absolutely. Yes. All your friends at Cage Club. <laughs> he must have done a movie with Nicolas Cage at some point. We can get in that way. That's true. <laughs> they would let Iceland do whatever she wants. So I think you're you're in yeah. if you want to do it. Let's do it. <laughs> Anything to be close to Joe. Okay, Kevin, okay, we'll not so interrupt this. That's time. okay. That's all right. That's that's all right. So, so Jodie Foster, this is her second movie after the Hariconic Junior starring Little Van Tate. <laughs> <laughs> now I know enough to know that Hariconic Junior did not play Little Man Tate because that was a little boy. No, he, he played Big Man Tate, Little Man Tate's father. Wait, are you serious? And was truly robbed of a nomination that year, I felt. I've always felt that. <laughs> oh, oh, man. <clears throat> Boy. Okay. <laughs> so, <laughs> Jody Foster's second movie. <laughs> <laughs> oh. <clears throat> so, um, there was a script written that was apparently a, a kind of kind of a mess, and Jodie Foster uh, and the producer saw something in it, and so she and the screenwriter worked together to kind of uh, make it feel more real and work out the so it wasn't just a whole bunch of sort of slapstick stuff, but that there was, there were sort of more realistic characters and 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 uh, add Jodie Foster's sensibility to it. And then the other the other little bit is just that the Thanksgiving dinner scene or kind of sequence in the, this movie to, apparently took 10 days and 64 turkeys to shoot oh my god yeah <laughs> can you imagine uh, i choose not to <laughs> no one day of thanksgiving is long enough for most people yes Iceland, <sighs> uh would you please take us through the ladies in charge women involved in major roles in home for the holidays would love to as we have mentioned director jody foster <laughs> My first ding, I love it. Actors include Holly Hunter, Anne Bancroft, Geraldine Chaplin, Cynthia Stevenson, and Claire Danes. Producer, Peggy Rajke. Editor, Lindsay Klingman. Lindsay also edited such uh, treasures as Baby Boom, The War of the Roses, A River Runs Through It, Ooh, Montana, and mm-hmm. One Flew Over the Cuckoo's Nest. Which was her first or second feature editing gig, which is kind of wow. amazing. Yeah. Uh, so, yeah. Um, Tobin, for those who um, did not have this on their VHS, VHS shelves as college students, um, please tell us uh, what this movie's about. Yeah, sure. After being fired from a job she loves by a fairly inappropriate boss, Claudia Larson, played by a tightly wound Holly Hunter, heads back to her childhood home to endure Thanksgiving dinner with her dysfunctional but all too real family. From her wacky parents, played by the amazing Anne Bancroft and the great Charles Durning, to her long-suffering sister, played by Cynthia Stevenson, and her manic brother, Iron Man himself. uh, Wait, that doesn't make sense. Iron Man himself, Robert Downey Jr. Claudia must find her way forward, somehow embracing where she came from, but also growing beyond it. Everyone gets a moment. Everyone's pain is real. 
Everyone gets a laugh, and Claudia might just make a connection or two that will help her find her way past the what-ifs that weigh her down. Y'all, I was so uncomfortable for most of this movie. Oh my goodness. Why? Um, well, in some places, I think you're meant to be, right? Sure. Um, but in other places, I was just, I found lots of it really off-putting. And oh. I, again, I don't, I don't want to stuff on people's nostalgia, but. Um, can I reference the Hocus Pocus episode from again, a few weeks back? I don't want to stuff on people's nostalgia again. Um, <laughs> but for me, the, the, what I will equate it to for me is um, watching the Royal Tannenbaums, which I also know people love, but I just, I didn't. I didn't feel connected to characters. I felt like I was watching what somebody thought would be interesting to watch. And like, let's put these, let's, let's, you know, twist these characters and make them, you know, dysfunctional together versus like, I don't know. There are other, there are parts of it where I, I think I felt uncomfortable by the realness of it. Um, mm-hmm. A lot, a lot of the early stuff when, when Holly Hunter's the only one in the house with her parents. Um, a lot of that felt uncomfortable in a very real way, but like the, yeah, I don't know. I mean, God, Robert Downey Jr. just got on my nerves so hard. <laughs> this movie. Um, so that's my overview. I was wow. uncomfortable. Harsh the buzz here. Harsh the buzz. Well, my, <laughs> but my second note though is I love baby Danes. Mm-hmm. I oh love yeah, she's great. Mm-hmm. Um, which leads me very quickly to the other thing that might make Joe uncomfortable, and then I'll let you two talk. Is that um, um, those of you who know me um, know that my hair is always red, um, and people who don't know me sometimes think it's real and it's not. Um, but for the most of my life, I have dyed it because of my so-called life. That's how it started, anyway, and that. The only reason I had access to it was because Joe had taped them all on VHS for TV. <laughs> we didn't know what DVDs were going to turn into, y'all. We didn't know that everyone was going to be able to first buy every season of everything and then stream every season of everything. We didn't know That's that in right. the late 90s. So Tobin, in my recollection, specifically asked Joe if he could borrow the VHS copies copied from TV to bring home over Christmas so that I could watch them. Mm-hmm. And I fell in love with that show as I have with Joe and um, <laughs> have made, you know, aesthetic choices in my life um, inspired by that. So thank you, Joe. Oh, wow. my pleasure. It's such a, this could be our second spinoff podcast <laughs> of my so-called life uh, minute. We just discuss a minute at a time for the 13 episodes <laughs> or whatever it is. It. Um, so yeah, we see Claire Danes in the beginning when she announces her um, intention to lose her virginity to her mother. Now, is that something Wait, wait, hold on, do? hold on. Not lose her virginity to her mother. <laughs> That's true. She announces <laughs> to her mother. That would, yes. That would be her uncomfortable. Intention. <laughs> 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 it would be a very different movie. Yes. Um, but yeah, my question is, do people do that? Because if so, I got to backdate a phone call. Like a decade or two. Uh, gosh, no. Uh, in my personal experience, <laughs> I don't know anyone who's ever done that. Uh, is it? Are we showing these two as like a 
progressive, close in age, Gilmore Girls esque mom and daughter combo that that do discuss these things. Right. I mean, Holly, I, Hunt, it, Holly Hunter herself is fairly uncomfortable when she gets this news mm-hmm. as she's getting out of her car to get on an airplane. Um, <laughs> that look on her face, she doesn't even say a word, which I thought was brilliant. Mm-hmm. She's just, mm-hmm. um, yeah, I don't, I don't know if that's a very realistic conversation but who knows different families yeah sure sure yeah i i think you're onto something too because there's they have a great telephone conversation later in the movie where they're both at they're both to different different degrees uncomfortable in their um surroundings at their different thanksgiving dinners and 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 they're they they do seem like they're very close i mean they seem Mm -hmm. they're they're both sort they're like raising each other in a way uh and, Mm -hmm. and we're told somewhere along the way or there's it's alluded to that um, Holly Hunter had Claire Danes when she was very young. And so mm-hmm. there's a, you know, that they're, they're closer in age than a lot of parents and children would be. I don't know. I, 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 it didn't stop me as a thing like, Oh, that would never happen. It just felt like this is particular to their relationship and kind of, yeah. kind of refreshing. Yeah. I mean, it was very Gilmore girls for me um, in that it also happens in the Gilmore girls. Um, and so that was, but that's my only reference point for that sort of declaration. Um, and it, then I think for me, it pinged particularly because there's been so much virginity in our podcast recently. Um, (laughs) just like, Oh, here we go again. (laughs) Right. Joe, what was it like for you revisiting this movie or how maybe has it, have you seen it recently or what's your, I, I have not seen, I mean, I watched it last night to prepare for this. Mm -hmm. And before that, gosh, I mean, 10 years or more, there was so much that I forgot and so much that I forgot I had forgotten. (laughs) Uh, There are lines from this movie I say in my daily life Mm -hmm. that I couldn't, I couldn't quite uh, retrace my steps (laughs) and figure out where they came from. Mm -hmm. But uh, Charles Durning's line, smell it and weep, is something I say a lot <laughs> to confuse people when he's got that plate of whipped cream and pie mm-hmm. uh, waving it under his daughter's nose. Um, yeah, I, I had a great time rewatching this movie, and, and um, I think the opposite of Iceland. I found Holly Hunter very relatable, especially um, towards the beginning of the movie when she has all of these calamities. She gets fired. She's got a cold, the, the Claire Danes conversation, and then she's on the airplane. And I just love her walking through the airport and she's seeing all of these fellow <laughs> adults being returned to childhood trauma <laughs> yeah. uh, for the holidays. Um, yeah, that really struck a nerve with me. I thought it was great. She's, you know, the banks, the banks of uh, payphones she's walking by and then the guy she passes in traffic who looks just as miserable as she does. Um, yeah, I, I really enjoyed watching this again. But let me just be clear for a second that I think Holly Hunter is great in this. Mm-hmm. I, I enjoy her performance very much. It's it's all the stuff around her that makes me so uncomfortable. You know, uh, my, my brother and I are fairly close. Um, I don't remember a time that he's woken me up by taking a Polaroid um, of me uh, somewhat naked or in the shower. Um, that's because I never did that. That's what I'm saying. So all I guess, yeah, for me, it was just I wrote in my notes. I was like, wait, is Robert Downey Jr. supposed to be charming in this film? Um, 
because I was I found him so off putting, and then like their back and forth, like I don't know, I uh, I didn't like it. Yeah, I, I so I hadn't seen this movie probably since that since watching it in the dorms all those years ago. Yeah, and I. I had my last couple notes are I love this movie like <laughs> like very very deeply I was moved I I was moved not I didn't fully cry but I missed it up a couple of times and I, I had a note here that I wonder if I was too young like I, I remember really enjoying it but I, there are things about mm. it that I don't know that I really appreciated or that I'm pretty sure I didn't really appreciate in my twenties that now I um, feel so much more there, there's a there's a level of um, it's the dysfunction in this movie is is leavened so often by compassion, not always, and not always between characters. There's a great scene between Holly Hunter and um, Cynthia Stevenson, her sister, where they oh, have this. I love the sister. Where they have this fight that is not is very clearly not resolved. Like it's it doesn't end well between them, and yet you get the sense this might all happen again next Thanksgiving or at Christmas or whatever. And and but there are other times where there are. There's a moment where Charles Durning uh, answers the phone. Which, which he's not been doing the whole movie, mm. avoiding it. And it's um, Robert Downey Jr.'s husband on the line. And, and they've found out over the course of this week or this you know Thanksgiving that they, they've gotten married. And he has, says, I forget how, how exactly he says it, but he says something like, um, I hear, you know, congratulations. And, you know, you, you could have done better than, <laughs> than this. Yeah, you know? yeah. Like acknowledging it and, and, and sort of welcoming him and like, you're a good kid, he says to him or whatever. And like there are moments like that, that, that are, that are, I found really sort of moving in this movie. Yeah, I agree with you. Um, and, you know, when that same phone call, Charles Durning answers it in a very <laughs> racist, yes, stereotypical yes. Asian accent. <laughs> right. So uh, that to me is just, you know, apparent. Like <laughs> they are horribly inappropriate at, uh, at one turn and then the next they're, right. you know, making you missed up and tear up and cry. So, uh, yeah, I don't know what to say. You know, if that if that was part of it, what made you uncomfortable, Iceland was sort of there you know, the, the darker side of these people (laughs) (laughs) compared to, you know, the nice uh, sort of touching moments. But yeah, I was thinking while I was watching this, um, if you, if you turn the comedy dial up three or four notches, you've got um, Christmas vacation with Mm, Chevy mm. Chase and and Beverly D'Angelo. And if you turn, turn the comedy notch, you know, down a few notches, you are in like, August Osage County territory, <laughs> something like that. So right. I really, I really like how this sort of straddles the line. Um, it's not too heavy, but it's got those touching moments. It's not laugh out loud screwball comedy, but you know, it's still got, still got its laughs too. So that's, that's so well put there. She, she, Jodie Foster manages to the sort of move the tone back and forth really beautifully within scenes and between scenes in a, in a way that's um, yeah, that, that like straddles that line um, for the most part, I think really effectively. Aislinn, was there another performance in this movie that you liked or were the rest of them all just off putting? Cause I can see, I, I mean, I can, I can understand oh, yeah, that I mean, experience. Yeah. Um, I'll think about that while I pose a question to you, because um, you just mentioned, um, you know, what Jodie Foster some did with it, um, and and you know, I I uh, uh, you know appreciate uh, Joe's analogy. I think that uh, that makes sense to me. Um, 
So, but uh, what did you all, as as film scholars and aficionados, um, how did you take the sort of chapter structure? Like flying, uh, mom and dad, company, relatives, more relatives. I had totally forgotten that those chapter headings were in there. I don't know that they're necessary or really impacted what I was watching. Um, yeah, I don't know. Give or take. They didn't bother me. They didn't uh, enlighten me in any way. Yeah, I think I feel about the same. It, it was we, we we had chapter headings in what, what was it? Was it Zero Dark Thirty is the other movie for the podcast that we've done that had wow. ch- chapters with I guess it was dialogue or something that, that, that those were sort of separated by. Uh, and this felt less intellectual than that. This felt almost like like um, you, you could imagine the sequences in the script having this written at the beginning of the sequence that then someone just decided to kind of leave in the movie. I I, I guess for all the the the. Um, I don't want to use the word off-putting because I didn't find it that way. But but for the for the for as dysfunctional as the family is in this movie, the movie itself to me felt <coughs> felt pretty light on its feet. And this that those things the, the chapter headings kind of made it feel that way. It, it gave a breath mm-hmm. in between these sort of bouts of of, of dysfunctional comedy <laughs> uh, that I that I think is was probably was probably more effective than if they hadn't been there. But you know I, I'm it's not you know. Uh, I don't. I don't think that would the movie would have been that much worse without. Them. Sure, my, my the cynical side of me s- saw it as built-in commercial breaks for when it uh. inevitably ran on TV. <laughs> um, but then on the other side of things, it's sort of the um, the other side of the same coin of Zero Dark Thirty, where you know that one took place over years and years, and so you sort of needed that contact. Right, I, right. I sort of True. agree with you a little bit, Tobin, on this, that I think because it is such a short and intense period of time that that, you know, broke it up to give, uh, to give a little breath to it. But I don't know. I just wondered from a filmmaking perspective, if you had thoughts on that, um, who did I like in this movie? <laughs> mm. <laughs> um, I'm trying to tell you one other person, one other character and characterization that I did not like. Oh, sure. I sure. resent a crazy spinster aunt. And I resent it uh-huh. hard. Oh, Aunt Gladdy. Uh, and so that, <laughs> her whole thing, like, I, the multiple sort of humiliations and people laughing at her. Um, that, that was when I wrote down the Royal Tenenbaums thing is just like, I felt like, oh, here's the crazy aunt character. And, and absolutely there is some, um, heartfelt moments and some, you know, true anguish and compassion, but then it would immediately go to Robert Downey Jr. You know, mugging at Holly Hunter about this crazy bitch over here. And so I just, (laughs) ugh. It just made me, it made, it made me want to open the windows, like, like they just that the house and every it just, ugh. and maybe that's it being effective, but not in a way that I want to watch it again. Yeah, if you're not with this movie, then the Aunt Gladdy parts are really not going to be your cup of tea. That's that's where it, the the characterizations do feel pushed to their kind of extreme as much mm-hmm. as, as as much as they're they're playing with stereotype that 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 one's going to fall much closer to just be to being a stereotype. I do still find her um a 
uh, I feel like they really do care about her. Uh, but, you know, again, I'm not coming at it with at all a cynical lens because I'm 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 really I'm sort of with these with these characters. What do, what do you think about it, Aunt Gladdy? Yeah, I'm, I mean, I agree with with you that this could have been a a different kind of relative versus rather than, you know, she's, she almost has like symptoms of dementia, you know, she's got the fruit loop necklace and she's giving away all of her possessions and things like that. And I mean, how she's younger than Anne Bancroft's character. So it, it, I don't know, that didn't really seem to track, you know, she, she could have been the hypochondriac Mm -hmm. aunt or, you know, and that's why she's giving away all of her stuff or she's the conspiracy theory aunt, you know, there, there were, different ways to make her eccentric and have some fun with her versus uh, she's a, she's a doddering old lady who's slowly losing her mind, um, which taken, taken out is, is pretty sad. What do you think about that? Well, and then I didn't entirely understand if her whole narrative about having kissed Charles Durning when they were very young and, and being like love Lauren over him her whole life I I wasn't clear on whether that was something that comes out every time she gets drunk or if that was new information because Anne Bancroft seemed to react like it was new information. Yeah, I got that sense, too, that this was sort of the the bomb that was dropped in the middle of Thanksgiving dinner. Uh, I'm sure we've all sat through something similar (laughs) with our own families. So then what was 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 it not the case last year at Thanksgiving? Like. Is this a new pro? I don't know. And now I yeah, I think I she's care too I much. think she's declining. Yeah. I think that she's or or it's just that it's just built up to this point or I don't know I don't know what. But it did definitely feel like this had had not happened before. And I feel they could have they could have told that same story and gotten there a different way, you know, other than yeah. the avenue of oh she's she's got dementia, she's got Alzheimer's or you know whatever whatever Aunt Gladys ailment happens to be <laughs> um, you know they could have all been teasing her for for being a spinster or why didn't you sure. ever get married or you know they could have just pushed her to that edge and then she she drops that <laughs> Thanksgiving bomb on the family um <laughs> I did enjoy at the Thanksgiving dinner um the the passive aggressive and the sort of power dynamics around all the various dishes so like mm-hmm. Aunt Gladdy brings a pie that's different than the pie that they bought and there's the two turkeys and it's and you just hear like nonchalantly you know pass me my stuffing and I want my mm-hmm. potatoes and that like and that made me laugh because that's very much like having dinner with me um, <laughs> because I'm very very picky and you know so, so that I, I, I thought that was pretty funny. And I, I liked the way that it was a theme that ran through, but I don't know that there was a whole scene about it, really. It was just their yeah, sort of background uh, dialogue and, and prop work being passed around when, when Cynthia Stevenson's son grabs the real turkey leg, you know, Robert right. Downey Jr. gives him the real turkey and mom rushes over to snatch it out of his hand and... Yeah, yeah. there's just nice little details. It wasn't it wasn't a whole bit or even, you know, mm-hmm. a dialogue between mm-hmm. two characters just sort of sprinkled in the yeah. back there. Ongoing struggles. And and I, you know, I love the 90s. So I I loved the flannel. I loved the terrible haircuts. <laughs> I love, you were really trying to write that. I loved the, you know, a, a number of Different costume choices. There's some <laughs> gloriously large belts. 
Page two of my notes. Uh, Dylan McDermott is at one point wearing a black turtleneck under a denim shirt under a flannel shirt. <laughs> yeah. I was th- I'm like, what sort of? Yeah, it was uh, ultimate nineties. It opens with rusted root on the soundtrack for crying out loud, and uh, yeah, good times. <laughs> the floppy hair, the Chandler hair, and yeah, so, so floppy. Dylan McDermott though. Still a babe back in the nineties, I gotta yeah, say. Babe in the nineties. Like Robert Downey, yeah. you can tell he's sort of mid uh, drug spiral, I but was, uh, yeah, Dylan he's yeah. got it. And he's and there's a there's a um uh, my sort of thought about Dylan McDermott is that he there's a much darker edge to him as time goes forward. This felt light to mm. me, uh, or light lighter than than a lot of the stuff that he plays later on. Maybe it's just I just don't watch enough Dylan McDermott. But uh, it was fun to see him just sort of be, you know, the handsome, charming guy, and not like the handsome, charming, dark guy. Sure. Yeah, I think for a lot of it, he didn't have a lot to do. He, you know, he was sort of Tommy's object or Holly Hunter's object. I mean, in the, toward the end, you know, they have their um, more when they have their conversations more, you know, toward the end. But for the first half, I mean, he was for me, he was kind of another turkey. <laughs> he was a little bit more well, prop than anything. Yeah, and I think that's a function of, you know, sort of this mystery. You know, when they first arrive, everyone assumes he's Robert Downey Jr.'s boyfriend or his new boy toy. But, you know, and then halfway through, they they, it turns out that's not the case. So, yeah, they sort of keep him at a distance for that first half of the movie, I think, to preserve that surprise. Robert Downey Jr. could have easily explained early on... (laughs) But because he so enjoys playing with the people. <laughs> oh, I don't think that's why. No, I don't think that's why. why do you think? I, I, he, he, because, well, listen, he did, he's clearly very close to Holly Hunter and had, didn't tell her he got married. Right. Right. Like he, he was not going to come to this, this Thanksgiving. He, he gets her message and then comes to this Thanksgiving because he knows that she needs him there. And that's revealed. That's revealed mm-hmm. later on. Gotcha. This, and, yeah, and so when you right. call, he calls. But right, he, you you see him on the phone with his husband, and is like his husband's having the like their his. They call it come back to your real family or whatever he's right. saying. Like this, he he was not intending to come here, and I and, and and so there's something that he has. There's a reason he has held this information back. One of the things I really like about this movie is that when at the beginning, my assumption was um, that he had broken up with his boyfriend mm-hmm. that that was mm-hmm. that I think we're sort of led to believe something's happened with what's the, what's his name? Is it Jack? Jimmy, Jack. Something has had happened with Jack or something has gone wrong with Jack or whatever. And then the, the fact that it's not that it's not that he's um, that, that they broke up or even that he is gay. The, the, the thing he's hiding is that they got married mm-hmm. and that's I, there's something so interesting to me about that. And about that in 1995 that I think is um, I think is part of the, um, I don't know, the power of this movie. Okay. For the first time, I think, in 20 episodes or so, I I apologize. You're right. I had forgotten that piece (laughs) of that reveal. I had remembered him revealing that he listened to the message. But in my... Oh, to be here, this historic (laughs) moment. I'm tearing up just just witnessing it. Ding for Tobin. He caught me. He caught me. (laughs) It it is interesting. Let's, as we're trying, you know, we've talked about the dinner a little bit. Um, It's at this 
ridiculous dinner scene that it comes out that they did get married and the sister's raging homophobia comes out. Mm-hmm. And I, and I, okay, okay, 1995, but I was upset that the, they so immediately switched to talking about Robert Downey Jr. And like no one like shut her down on the I have friends in Boston and it's embarrassing and whatever. And like I appreciated that, you know, Robert Downey Jr.'s uh, response to that is his response, right? Which is to, you know, roll his eyes and not give her sort of the satisfaction of the argument. But I, I thought Holly Hunter would have more to say than that. I don't to know. The sister. Yeah. In that moment. I mean, I know they have, they continue to fight later and they don't have to be friends, their family and whatever. But I, um, I, 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 I wanted her to get shut down by someone in the room. And then that could be her, um, not inspiration, not the right word, but like the catalyst for her getting up and leaving or whatever. But it just, I felt like all her bullshit hung in the air in a way that I didn't like. But doesn't that feel like family didn't like that feels true doesn't it like we people people don't shut people down the when they should and as they should and and that it does hang in the air that's part of the that's why this isn't just a comedy sure but i think because they were all already fighting it wasn't like they they weren't they they couldn't no one could raise a voice or no one wanted to make a scene like voices were raised and scenes were being made and so it felt a little to me. It it felt a little inconsistent, but if that was if if the point was realism of of us not calling each other out, then okay. Like I'll I'll you know I'll say okay, but um. I mean, I wish I wish they would have too, but that's me wishing it and not. Uh, I don't know. It feels a little bit like you're applying a um, or that you're wanting this movie to conform to a certain um thing that it's just not I don't know how am I trying to say it well it feels like you're policing the movie's choices in a way that isn't allowing the movie to be the movie okay um in the movie they've set it up that Robert Downey Jr. and Holly Hunter are very close yeah so wouldn't she say something to the other sibling and then have to be pulled away or something like that I, I'm not saying it's it's 2018 and we shouldn't have a conversation like that. Like I'm not I'm not trying to do that. I'm saying yeah, in yeah. in the family in the dysfunctional family that's that's been set up for us. Um, I was disappointed that no one in that family in 1995, when they were already all fighting, didn't respond to that piece of what what she brought to the table. To defend him, yeah, yeah, and I mean. Yeah, I think that makes sense. And I I would just say that, you know, they are all sort of shocked by this news. Mm-hmm. Um, not not that he's gay or with a man or anything, but that there was this wedding that occurred, you know. Um, that's all I can think. That's true. I, Holly yeah. Hunter was sort of more concerned with him having a wedding and not telling her. Right, right. And I, I honestly, had this movie been made in 1998 instead of 95, you probably would have had a scene like that or, you know, 2000 or something. You know, there would have been a juicy monologue where they tell her how wrong she is for 
for hating. No, yeah, and I, I, I'm really not trying to turn it into a very special episode of Blossom, but. <laughs> we are going to have four or five different podcasts by the end of this podcast. Let's, let's have one called a very special episode and and just recap all the special episodes from the nineties. Um, <laughs> Our guest this week is Jenna Van Oy. Yes, you know her as Six from the hit TV series Blossom. Because our guest should always be Jenna Van Oy. Um, <laughs> I think uh, the other thing I thought as I was watching it was, okay, we've set up because I was on to it that Dylan McDermott wasn't his new boyfriend. Right. Uh Even in the the description of the movie, like the back of the VHS, it explains that there's a handsome stranger that she might have a connection with or whatever. So I I then thought it would be interesting if it was – um, him, I forget his name, Leo, Leo fish. Leo fish. Um, if Leo like stepped in real quick as like a further, um, what do you call that? Uh, when you, when you say, look over here, not distraction. <laughs> not distraction. <laughs> like, like in magic, <laughs> what do you call it? Oh, misdirection. Yes, like as a further misdirection about the uh, relationship that like he had something to say. Um, but yeah, I mean, I I get it. Yeah, I'm not looking. I'm not looking to change the whole tone of the piece. I was just looking for a reprimand, like others got at that table. That's all. I wonder if I I got the sense in this movie, like even the first 15 minutes when Holly Hunter's the only one who's made it home how much of a of a life these characters have before we even mm-hmm. turn the camera on. I mean, just the way that she interacts with her mom is different than with her dad and the way the two of them are interacting and how they're all just so used to each other. Mm-hmm. And this is his garbage and this is her baggage and this is mine. I just wonder if, if the other sister, Joanne, uh, Cynthia Stevenson, if, if, if she does have some sort of outburst at every, yeah, <laughs> every family gathering, um, I don't know. Yeah, it's an interesting point that that no one sort of jumped to his defense like that. I did love how Anne Bancroft showed up at the airport with an extra coat. Like, next to uh, Charles Durning with his video camera as yes. she gets off the <laughs> jetway. Oh God! It was yeah, just some some flashbacks to my my, my trips home to Montana. I love it, Jill. Love uh, it. Talk about Anne Bancroft. Oh my God, Anne Bancroft in this movie kills me. I mean, this is a great cast. Like mm-hmm. you know, despite what you may feel about the characters, I don't I don't think anyone would say, oh, these actors are bad or this actor isn't showing up. I mean, everyone is sort of firing on all cylinders here, Mm -hmm. in my opinion. And she is just head and shoulders above the rest. I wrote down so many of her lines, so much of her dialogue to bring back up from the car ride from the airport. Claudia, your roots are showing. (laughs) Like just these little nitpicks all throughout, you know, get back inside or before we're on the evening news. And I mean, just every sort of line and scene and look and and when she sort of has her dramatic moment when she's 
hiding in their little secret pantry in the kitchen. After. I loved that. I want one of oh those. Oh my. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I just thought she nailed each and every scene she was in and steals this show away from these other fantastic actors. I couldn't believe how, how, uh, how much she's shown uh, amongst all the rest of them. I remember this movie as a great cast, a great, you know, family sort of dysfunction. And everyone sort of plays their part. But man, this time around, I thought she was outstanding. Revisiting some of her movies more recently, from the beginning, she was amazing. She embodies this character. Like, she just chews through this character. Mm -hmm. And and it's, she is, for me, she is a joy in every scene that she Mm -hmm. is in. You're you're so right. Like, they're, they're, it's a stacked cast. It's their, their, and Jodie Foster allows them all to have like to have these little moments that we don't, that, that aren't featured, right? Like they're all kind of back behind the scenes. The blocking is so beautifully done as you were alluding to earlier in a way that looks kind of effortless, but is really meticulous in a way of the, the way they're all, all sort of interacting. Like everybody has a little story going on and you really feel like they're all, um, you know, that, that they're, that they're uh, all part of the same, you know, that they're in the same family, they're in the same room, they're in the same, they're, they're having the same arguments. And it's, it's, um, but she just, oh God, I could watch her all, all day long. I thought she was, <laughs> I, wh- the, why she is not a, a best supporting actress nominee for this movie, mm-hmm. I will never, ever know. I think she is, um, she's great. I think she's great. You know, aside from Harry Connick Jr., no one has been more <laughs> robbed of an Oscar nomination. <laughs> than Anne Bancroft in this movie. <laughs> what did you all think, here, here. just to stay on Anne Bancroft, of the scene where she uh, takes her clothes off and, and does that monologue <laughs> yeah. with the cigarette hanging out of her mouth? That made me sad. I Yeah. I yes. wrote down... <laughs> okay, here's what I wrote down. Apologies everywhere. Keeping in mind also that I am uh, and have been a very old lady most of my life. But so I wrote down, um, <laughs> old ladies are annoying, but they kind of deserve to be. And I think she in particular, um, cause you know, from the minute that Holly Hunter comes in, she's just talking and yeah. she has lots mm-hmm. to say about Holly Hunter, but she's also talking about her husband rather than to him. And there's just, and talking about the sister and the thing and the, and, and I think that she's, you know, starved for, kind of authentic attention. Mm-hmm. Um, a lot of us just want to be listened to. <laughs> and so mm-hmm. she's sort of forcing Holly Hunter to, um, to do that for her. Um, and so as, as she gave that, that monologue and um, looked in the mirror, I, yeah, it, ma- it made me sad, but it was, I, you know, I, I felt like I understood her better after that. Yeah. It gave me a sense that, that, um, you know, at some on some level, we are all still children in our parents' eyes, you know. Right. And and Anne Bancroft changing her clothes in front of eight year old <laughs> Holly Hunter mm-hmm. wouldn't be no big deal, you know. But this mm-hmm. it happens to be forty year old Holly Hunter in this right. case, and um, yeah, it, it felt like she was just she does this every night, you know. Mm-hmm. She goes into her changing room and and changes her clothes mm-hmm. and right, you know, ad- <laughs> addresses herself in the mirror or or not, and just sort of summarizes her life in this sad little moment and <laughs> it just so happened holly hunter was, was present for this one well, and and it, it, yeah and it freaked her out it was similar then 
to me when it cuts to Holly Hunter in the shower and Anne Bancroft is standing there smoking, <laughs> still talking about what's going to happen and who's there and whatever. Um, and that that to me also felt like, yeah, they've been doing that their whole lives because uh-huh. when she was a kid, that would make sense. And it is her house and, you know, whatever else that you sort of um, lose some of your liberties um, yeah. when mm-hmm. you go home. Uh, and then, yeah, close the door on your way out, which she doesn't, which then leads to the second time Robert Downey Jr. Um, takes uh, inappropriate pictures of his sister in this film. Yes. and But I think that this that, – so one thing on Anne Bancroft and then we'll get to Robert Downey Jr. Because um, I'm not done with Anne Bancroft yet. Another <laughs> amazing thing about her performance is that you can see where all three of her children come from. Mm-hmm. And, and, and that's – I. That's I, it's hard for me to see that in the script, but I so I think that has more to do with Anne Bancroft's performance. That she there's there's a piece of her that has sort of been passed on to varying degrees to you know to to the the Cynthia Stevenson character to Joanna. Like you see the sort of controlling, clenched. Everything's got to be. Look at the house that they're you know that when you go to Cynthia Stevenson's house, the, her and Steve Gutenberg's house, and like the he's sitting in the like all floral, like everything's just completely floral and it's, and, 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 and clean and, you know, pristine. And you can, you can, you can see where that comes from, where, where that would have emerged out of this sort of stew um, and, and out of Anne Bancroft. Now the, I have to, so it is completely inappropriate that he's taking these Polaroid pictures of, of both his sisters, the his uh, Joanna at a moment of humiliation. Well, everyone at moments of humiliation, but <laughs> she's, she's at least fully clad. Um, right, right. But but I look. This is. Um, I think the movie would be worse if it if it wasn't um, if the characters were always appropriate. Like I, I feel like that messiness, that sort of inappropriateness, is part of sort of navigating this kind of weekend home for this character. And, and it's, it would be, um, you know, and yes, I do think that, that maybe there's a problem that the, that in some ways the movie's playing it more for laughs than, than it should be, but I don't know. It's, it's uncomfortable laughter. I'm not like all for him doing this, doing this stuff. And I think that, I don't know. I, I think that the movie would be worse if for not having that in it. It felt like something, I would do to my little brothers um, <laughs> as a kid, or they would do to me. It felt, you know, and something makes it a uh, stranger. And I don't know if that's my own baggage that it's that it's a, a brother and sister. You know, even though it, I don't know, it just felt like it felt like a prank you would play on your brother versus bothering your sister with it, or it should have been anyway. Yeah, I think so much of his antics just rubbed me the wrong way. And I certainly don't want to come out anywhere near Joanne's side of things in this. Um, <laughs> oh, I don't, that. I don't, but like, <laughs> I, well, I guess I, maybe in it, maybe it just touched a nerve of like, yeah, absolutely. That, that, that person who you can say, please stop. And they won't, you know, he keep these does the, the dumbass car stuff. When he, you know, when he, like, that's just, I would just, I would avoid a holiday with that human. I can't, like, he was just, and it was all to me wrapped up in this, like, oh, he's so charming. And I don't know, like, it just, he just was yucky to me. And I, I didn't like it. Yeah, it's weird. I felt, I felt like there was a lack of respect. 
for humans. Oh yeah, oh, yeah, yeah well, there is. Yeah. <laughs> All right, I'm talking to two big brothers here, and uh, <laughs> I feel outnumbered. Maybe that's um, the problem. Yeah. Maybe that's part of the problem. Yeah, I mean, look if you if you're if you're wanting a movie, a holiday movie to to be able to sort of. Um, of, of a family that you would want to be a part of. That sounds like a kind of boring movie to me. And like, I, I don't know. I th- I feel like you're trying to, you're shifting what I'm saying to that. I want this to be a different movie. I, I don't, I just don't like this movie. Yeah. I guess what I'm saying is that the, re- that it sa- seems to me as though the reasons that you're not liking this movie are that are the reasons are, are things that I find in the movie to be strengths, which fair enough, it's just a, it's just a taste thing, but like, I'm not, I don't think, think I have a different reading of the movie than you do, except that I think that the, that because of the balance of comedy and drama and the, um, and these masterful, masterful performances, I'm, I'm, I want to see these characters through. I want to, I, I mean, I am, I am with them in their moments of pain and compassion and, and I'm agonizing with them. I'm like, Oh God, what humiliation is coming next? And, Oh, but look, this is, we're going to sort of, we're going to sort of find each other as human beings at some point. I mean, there's a scene where um, uh, Robert Downey Jr. And uh, uh, Holly Hunter have, have retreated to the kitchen after all the stuff in the Thanksgiving dinner has, has taken place. And they're sitting sort of, they finally have a moment of kind of silence between two of them. They're sitting and they're eating food and then without speaking, they just hug each other. Mm -hmm. Like they just hold on to each other. And you see that Robert Downey Jr.'s, all his obnoxiousness is a facade. This is a thing he's put on for, for a variety of reasons that, that we can only sort of speculate at and, and that, He's, you know, he's, if there's a self-protective, everybody has their protective mechanisms when they come home for this holiday dinner thing. And, and that's his. And I, I, I don't, I would not want to be at that Thanksgiving dinner for all kinds of reasons. I don't, I, I, and I would not want to spend a lot of time with Robert Downey Jr. in this movie, but I think, but I, but I feel, I, I do feel a lot of empathy for him and, and um, the, that I can think I can see why he acts the way he does. Yeah, I mean, it's, I I can't imagine him behaving that way at his personal Thanksgiving. You know that we see when he's on the phone with his with his husband. You know he wouldn't be <laughs> throwing the turkey yeah. in anyone's lap, or <laughs> uh, maybe he would. Maybe he's always a jerk, um, and that's kind of something I appreciated as a as a young gay in the nineties. Was here's here's a gay guy who's not a saint who's who's kind of an asshole. <laughs> um, and I, I feel like, you know, he, he returns home and just slips back into these old patterns, you know, sort of like the other two siblings do. But I, I totally feel you, Iceland. I would not want to sit next to him at Thanksgiving I, uh, or anything like that. I think his particular brand of obnoxiousness um, became a barrier to my compassion. Mm-hmm. mm-hmm. And so for that, for me, that character then didn't work um, because I wasn't able to make that turn where, um, you know, like we've we I mean, we haven't really talked about Anne Bancroft yet. Um, (laughs) 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 But where she is certainly obnoxious and irritating and treats people badly and, you know, all these kind of things, I I I get it more and and i can make that that turn to compassion um and i i i don't know i think it's just 
I don't know what I'm putting on it, but it's like, I can, I can feel, you know, Jodie Foster saying like, okay, now just really, just really play or really do whatever. And like, that's what came out. And, and it's just like, no, I don't, that it, it, I don't like it. I don't like it. I don't think, I don't think you're giving her enough credit. I mean, look, I, I, she's, she is modulating these performances in a, and look, they do all have freedom in here and probably, I mean, look, I don't know exactly where he was in the, in his drug years, like how, (laughs) how much Coke is involved in this performance. Um, But, you know, to say that she's just unleashing them is, is I think, I mean, I've seen movies where people do that and that's the, the, they they don't work like all of them. I'm talking, I'm isolating this performance. Mm -hmm. Oh, I see. You're you're just talking about Robert Downey. No, no, please. I don't want to hear it from Twitter about me hating (laughs) Jodie Foster. I went to contact in the theater. (laughs) And I, and I do love little man Tate. Um, More or less than big man Tate. No, big little, I'll take any of them. Um, <laughs> so yeah, I maybe it's just happened to push particular buttons for me that um that made it uh not work and I can be and I can be fine with that and I can move forward. I just um I I would um I'm not content with the characterization that I'm trying to make in sure. a movie about nice people who are nice to each other. I'm not. Okay. <laughs> it's like aliens all over again. <laughs> what? Uh, I can't think of a movie less like Aliens <laughs> than Home for the Holidays, but in relation to your history with this podcast, I see where you're coming from. <laughs> I don't know. A traumatized woman returns to the source exactly. of her trauma. Oh, in order to... See, that's why you're the film scholar and I'm just the <laughs> schmuck who happened to be roommates with you 25 years ago. And I'm talking to Hudson apologists. <laughs> <laughs> so to me, it's very familiar. Wow. Wow. Oh, goodness. Um, Speaking ill of the dead, eyes wide. Oh, I always say all due respect. Um, <laughs> what? Oh, wait, what oh, wait, else Iceland, can I Iceland, Iceland, yeah, Iceland, Iceland. Tobin, Tobin. What about what about David Strathairn? Oh my, oh my God, God. Sarkozyak, fresh. I loved him. what I love about him is that even in this movie, where on the one hand you say, "Oh, he's so young." He's still old. Uh-huh. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. I, I wanted to be taken into his his sad little arms. I love David Strathairn. Um, it uh, it made me think of the River Wild and how I want to watch that again. Mm. Speaking of the nineties and Montana, right? <laughs> mm-hmm. Um. So yeah, I I. I always love seeing him. I mean, I also didn't know I was going to be gifted with the goot in this um, yes. until I saw the credits yes. roll. So, uh, yeah, again, top to top to bots. I think the the cast is amazing. And Gutenberg is really playing this part. Yeah. Like there's, there, you know, for a man who's part of so much of his career in my memory, I've not I've revisited all the police Academy movies, but there's a lot of winking to the audience in, mm-hmm. in my memory of Steven Gutenberg. And he just plays this like put upon tightly wound guy. Like I, I just, yeah, who's a banker yeah. or whatever it is that he does. Right. Yeah. yeah <laughs> playing against tension. Type. Yeah. The yeah. tension at the table when, 
um, Leo asks him a question and then mm. everyone gets, gets interrupted. And then Joanne, tr- <laughs> my, my understanding of it was that Joanne was trying to redirect it back to the question, but right, then he right. immediately then snapped at her. Oh, like, yeah, yeah. Oh, yeah. It was, yeah, um, yeah. it was, yeah. A surprise, a surprise from the goot. Um, that's one for the, for the hashtag <laughs> surprise goot. What was your I, favorite I, surprise goot? Let us know in the comments below. I, obviously mine is Veronica Mars, but that's neither here nor there. <laughs> um, I, uh, what did you all think of the last, the closing sort of, uh, eight millimeter shots, the, the bit, the whole movie bits at the end. Did that work for you? I'll let Joe start. I think it did uh, work for me. I mean, it always gets me like uh, misty eyed and choked up to see old eight millimeter footage, even though, you know, none of us are are from that era. (laughs) Um, And and to see that Charles Durning was always sort of Mr. Video Camera Mm -hmm. and how he wished he had Mm -hmm. taped all of these moments, you know. Clearly, they're not all real, uh, you know, footage that he's got when he's down there at the end watching in his basement. Um, I thought it was really sweet. And you got to see a bit uh, of everybody's life outside of this family unit. And even uh, Cynthia Stevenson and Steve Gutenberg are are having fun in there and their kids are not obnoxious. And then you see a clip from uh, Robert Downey Jr.'s wedding on the beach that none of his family was invited to. And they all seem like, you know, decent uh, people who are being themselves. And then it's just when you put all of these ingredients together <laughs> when toxic, yeah. right right uh yeah deliciously toxic um yeah i i did like it and i think you know sort of weaving weaving in charles durning's uh, video camera throughout the film um mm-hmm. that made it work it wasn't just sort of tacked on out of nowhere hey we have no idea how to end this movie um <laughs> yeah i liked it yeah i agree i um and I had it kind of a little bit the opposite where it, it made then more sense to me, the like him having a, a video camera at the airport and, and that kind of stuff um, to kind of have, have that footage at the end. Um, and that so many times, at least early on in it, um, he was played to be peripheral a little bit like it's the it's you know it's mostly a conversation between M. Bancroft and Holly Hunter in the car and that and then you know he won't answer the phone and um you know he sneaks down to get the pie or mm-hmm. you know where's dad oh he's out vacuuming like so to kind of then bring it back to him as as really being observant um and and kind of holding them together a little bit was um I liked it in the context of this larger movie I didn't like um, Tobin. <laughs> yeah. He, he has that great scene with Holly Hunter where he describes that moment they had on the runway that then we see in the, in the tape, uh, the, 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 the home movies at the end, the thing I, the thing, so the ending from, and I did not remember that ending at all. Mm-hmm. The bits as this movie came along, I'm like, Oh, I remember that line of the, the, your roots are showing Claudia is the line that's burned <laughs> in my memory. Probably Joe, because you would say it a lot. <laughs> but, but this ending for me is what makes the, what sort of the movie moves up a whole other notch at this ending, because the, the, it, both because of what you're saying, Joe, about how these are the people when they're 
the, the lives they create for themselves are these other things and they all come together and it's this sort of toxic stew. But, but also that these are all moments that are, are called out in the movie that, that, that weren't recorded. Mm-hmm. So Charles Dern talks about how he wished he could have video of that moment at the, at the um, airport. And um, uh, th- there's a whole thing about pictures from Robert Downey Jr.'s wedding. And he says, we didn't want, we didn't have pictures. No one took pictures of our wedding. And, and the same thing was there as the, the conversation between uh, Dylan McDermott and Jodie Foster, or, um, Holly Hunter on the airplane, where they, where they talk about, we're not going to take pictures because then maybe then no one will ever know except yeah. the two of us. <laughs> and so the idea that, that our memories and, and, you know, that, that, um, the gift of our memory is something that gets to be some ways cleaner and rosier and kinder. And um, as well as the fact that these moments that we choose for ourselves are um, uh, th- that, that those get to be more positive, that we get sort of let, let the baggage go. We don't have to carry the baggage into those other moments that we have when we're all together um, as a family. And I, there's something in the theme of this movie about, about memories and all, all that. And, and that, lifts this movie to a whole other kind of kind of plane i i think it's i think i think it was a it was a and i think i maybe i sort of would i i know i didn't think about that deeply when i saw it the first time but i do think it's it's a very sort of sophisticated way to end this movie very nice mm-hmm. um, i have a sophisticated way to end this podcast <laughs> <laughs> what might that be um, you don't want to play a game absolutely Um, so uh, to set the scene for this, and this may help you all better understand why I don't ever want to watch this movie again. Um, the part where um, Joanne gets hit in her body by a turkey and then is covered in turkey juice uh-huh. is very literally my nightmare. <laughs> I, it's hard for me to think of something else that's like conceivable that could happen. This was like That's watching a Lars von Trier movie for you, wasn't it, Isla? <laughs> I mean, it was truly frightening, yes. Yes. I mean, I said I don't like scary movies, and then <laughs> you made me watch someone assaulted with a turkey. Um, it was just truly dis- – I mean, I, I really did have to get up and take a lap because I thought I might be ill. Like, it was the worst thing I could imagine having at Thanksgiving. Or honestly, at any table I ever sit down <laughs> Is this a turkey-related thing? Is it just the... I mean, had it been a ham, would it have been better? I'm no, trying to understand. Um, no, it's, me, it's just worse, meat. Turkey well, bad. Pigs meat are dogs, in general. But, um, yes, and, and, and again, just a little history here. Um, I was taunted with meat. <laughs> it's not funny, but it's funny. In middle school, at, in the cafeteria, because people knew I didn't eat it. And so, like, okay. having meat coming at me, it's just a real, a real <laughs> content advisory for me. Um, <laughs> okay. See, I didn't know that either. So, that yeah, that makes all of this whole podcast make a whole lot of sense now. This should have been a trigger warning with this movie. Yeah, absolutely. I can, absolutely. A content advisory um, is what we're saying now. Um <laughs> The spirit of my aversion to anything food fight related or um, non consensual meat contact. (laughs) (laughs) 
Now that is the name of my new band. <laughs> um, uh, the name of the game <laughs> is Hilarious Holiday Nightmares. So while it is my nightmare, it is also arguably hilarious. Mm-hmm. So I would like us all to share um, a, a humorous holiday nightmare um, that we witnessed or that we were a part of. And then I will decide whose is the best. Um, and folks can play along on Twitter um, with, you know, hashtag hilarious nightmare and tell us about their um, humorous holiday adventures. Iceland, do you have do you have one? I do. It's not great. Okay. It's not going to win, but it'll start us off. I, I think you should go first because I'm I've been thinking about this and I'm having I'm having some trouble. OK, well, I, yeah, mean, I, I don't want a loser of a game. I'm so sorry. Um. So what came to my mind as a hilarious holiday mishap um, was... I'm so nervous right now. <laughs> I know, right? Uh, <laughs> the time uh, Tobin threw a turkey at you. God, we would not be doing a podcast together. If Leading that to your happened. lifelong fear of meat. <laughs> no, no, not it. He, res- he re- Deep down, he respects it. I can trust Tobin. I do, I do. In a way yeah, I cannot absolutely. trust Robert Downey Jr. Um <laughs> Not even now. I mean, I think he's proven himself trustworthy now, Robert Downey Jr. I mean, I'd entertain it, but I'd still be cautious. Today's Robert Downey Jr., not mid-90s Robert Downey Jr. That guy's a dirtbag. That's true. I mean, honestly, it was Alan McBeal is what turned me on to him. You know, before then, he's sort of nothing to me. So we'll talk more about Robert Denny Jr. on our new podcast, <laughs> RDJR. Um, but in the meantime, uh, mine is from the mid '90s because that is the era in which we're we're living tonight. Um, and it was uh, Christmas Eve, and it was right on the cusp of when I shouldn't have believed in Santa Claus anymore. Um, mm. and, but I was still um, leaving out treats, and. Um, uh, our mother uh, makes these amazing um, rolls, like a like a sweet roll, twist them up with frosting. Um, mm-hmm. And so I was setting out, you know, a little piece of cookie or a whole cookie, a little piece of fudge and, a, and one of these rolls. And I put it downstairs on a little coffee table for Santa and went to bed because I was the youngest. So I was going to bed early. Um, and I thought everyone was or I thought Tobin and, and the dog were upstairs. And so I got upstairs, realized that. So the door to Tobin's room was open. That means the dog um, was out. And so I think I said to mom, like, where's Widget? Which is the name of the dog. And we both ran downstairs. And she, the dog, was like had the plate, looked us <laughs> dead in the eye, and put the entire roll in her mouth. Like, it was a big roll. Like, like opened her jaw and just looked us dead in the eye and gulped. Try to get it down. And then mom tries to like two finger um, tong, get it out of her throat and whatever. And it was, it was not coming out. It was there. Um, So that was, you know, I may have almost poisoned a dog. Um, And I, I also liked, I mean, she was a a real force of nature, that dog, um, I think. And so to me, it was her looking at us in the face, like, (laughs) <laughs> oh, I'm sorry. Is there a problem that's here? That's bold. That's yeah, bold yeah. for a dog. <laughs> so that's mine. 
Um, I think it's humorous. And from that day on, you haven't believed in Santa Claus, right? That's sort of, that was the last straw. I only believe in Widget the Terrier. Yeah. <laughs> That's pretty good. Who else has a um, humorous holiday? So I don't know if nightmare is the right word. It's certainly... It's not a mishap because it was definitely on purpose. Um, and it, it will. <laughs> um, so my aunt, Marilyn, always hosted Thanksgiving when we were kids. And she had a huge, you know, we have a big family. My mom has four siblings and there's tons of cousins and there's aunts and uncles everywhere. And they've lived in Billings forever. So every friend who has nowhere else to go is over. So we're talking like. 40 or 45 people Jeez. for Thanksgiving. You know, there's just every flat surface has food on it and there's people sitting around and lots of guitar playing and Uno's being played and the kids are running up and down the stairs and all of this. And um, because there were so many people, my aunt asked uh, my grandmother, Grandma Pete, uh, <laughs> to bring her flatware, her forks and knives and spoons and, and all of that, because Aunt Marilyn didn't have, you know, place settings for 40 on hand. <laughs> so my grandma brought the flatware, and we have Thanksgiving, and everyone's eating, and it's all nice and sweet. And then uh, it's getting late, so Grandma's ready to go home. And so she's going around collecting her silverware. <laughs> like almost out of people's hands as they're eating their pie. And so I was, I, I was a teenager, 14, 15, you know, total smart ass. Um, and so I started whispering to select family members. Gra Grandma Pete is stealing silverware. <laughs> And this rumor made it around the house. <laughs> and poor Grandma Pete was oblivious to the fact that now everyone thinks she's stealing <laughs> oh and making a clean getaway into the wintry Montana evening. <laughs> and so it's been a running joke long after uh, Grandma has passed, of course, that uh, any any family function she would have attended, you know, you got to bolt down <laughs> anything, oh, no, she had a anything of value. She did, she had a reputation, yeah. <laughs> and it's, I fingered it, grandma. What makes it even worse, she grew up in Australia, which, as everyone knows, was home to <laughs> criminals and ne'er-do-wells. So she was really reinforcing stereotypes that night. Um, and I guess I, I was a little bit to blame, too. Tell, <laughs> telling everyone my sainted grandmother was stealing from us. <laughs> oh, man. Island, do you have any for me? I, I'm having a real hard time. <laughs> I mean, with this one. I, Grandma and the Sheep Dip, but it's not a holiday. <laughs> oh, yeah, but that'll work. That's I'll do that thing. one. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Okay. Um, okay, so I'm not sure. So th this is a <laughs> this is a family reunion, which I'm going to sort of call a holiday. Absolutely. So, yeah. So, so um, our Island and my dad's family all comes from South Dakota and we took a family family reunion trip to South Dakota once all of us in the car which is a lot how long would that drive have been like 12 hours or 15 hours or that's a long way I mean you guys are all the way on the other side of Montana <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Got all of Montana and then yeah it was, a journey. it was a long trip 
So we're in the car all the way over. And and um, so we didn't know – since they were so far away, we – Isla and I did not know these relatives very well. We knew our grandmother. We knew, but, but like it was a very – it's a very sort of um, farm farm heavy yeah, <laughs> culture in this. Yeah, and it was our uh, grandmother's cousins. That's you know right. I, mean? I should so say it, that right. right there is a right. little bit of removed. Um, but it was very important mm-hmm. to get a picture of Jeff Addington and Tobin Addington with a young boy whose name was Jeff Tobin. We have to explain that my so, <laughs> so right. So my dad's first name is Jeff, and this whole a big chunk of this family, their surname is Tobin. So we had Jeff and Tobin and Jeff Tobin, or however. Oh wow! Jeff Tobin, Jeff Tobin, um, Jeff Tobin, Jeff. Tobin, Jeff. Yeah. So um, all the all the all the varieties. So anyway, the we, so we so we were we were sort of the outsiders at this. I would say at this sort of gathering, and um, there there was one night, and we were. Uh, there was some. There were like, we all had plates of food, I think, and there's a. They're sort of like telling stories, and this this one guy's up, and he starts the story. And <laughs> he says, he says, now you all know the the one about how Graham. How did wait? You all know, know the, the one about how Graham. Yeah, you, that's right. Y'all know the expression. Um, uh, how did yeah, it go? Okay. Not as- Y'all know the expression. I never laughed so hard as the time Grandma fell yeah. in the sheep. T- <laughs> <laughs> I never laughed so hard as the time Grandma fell in the sheep dip. Is this expression? <laughs> and- well, yeah, we've all heard that. Now wait, that was not the that was not the punchline of the joke. However, Iceland and I. Burst out laughing <laughs> at that moment because it was so absurd. We could not believe we had heard this thing come out of someone's mouth, and everyone else is looking, waiting for the rest of the joke, which then came. Like the rest of the story came next. That's the story but we, we said. Don't... Grandma actually did polish. <laughs> Let's that's, start with we didn't know what the hell sheep dip was, <laughs> so right. It was just an entirely. Yes. I still don't. <laughs> what? <laughs> It's like an antibacterial, anti-disease, like <laughs> you, you. It's a, it's a cleansing yeah, thing you, you do with the sheep in it so, to like preserve okay. and so uh, from from parasites and stuff. So it's a. <laughs> but we didn't know. We didn't know, and certainly didn't no. know the expression. Um, and so that now has been an ongoing expression in our <laughs> <family>. <laughs> which I couldn't remember now. Obviously, you, you uh, can this, imagine the that in the car ride home. Oh my lord! Grandma and the sheep. Fifteen dip. hours of exactly. sheep. Exactly. Yes. I think that's where the nightmare comes. Was probably for our parents having to listen to us laugh about that common expression everyone knows. I never laughed so hard at the time Grandma fell in the sheep dip. Right. That old chestnut. That old cliche. Oh, all right. Oh, give it up to grandmas. Am I yeah, right? I, say, I think I think grandmas win this round. Um. <laughs> Absolutely. Us, whether they're stealing or falling down, yes. <laughs> or falling in the sheep, dip. Or, or dipping in the sheep. No, sheep dip. Yeah, right. Sheep dip. Yeah. Anyway. Oh. Well, thank you all. I needed a good laugh, and I I got one. Um. So if if you listeners have uh, any sort of holiday mishap, um, that you want to um, share with us, you know, um, shout out. Uh, give us a little hashtag hilarious nightmare. And um and tell us about your sheep dip and or um elderly oh my thievery. God. I I'm sorry, I cannot believe I just remembered this other Thanksgiving holiday <laughs> story. Can I tell another real yes, quick of one? Please, please. 
Okay, so I'm married to a man who's a wonderful cook and always does an enormous Thanksgiving. It's similar to similar to Auntie Marilyn's. It's anyone in town uh, who's around or has nowhere else to go. So we have 18, 20 people in our house for Thanksgiving. And Tony takes the week off and does all the prep and all the cooking and all of this and all of that. So he's in charge of all of that. And my job is to go out and pick things up, uh, you know, run to the grocery store for this, run over here for that. So like two or three years ago, he decides he's going to brine a turkey for the first time in his life. Mm. Um, so he reads up, you know, on the on the recipe uh, blogs and all of that. What's the best way to do it? And so, well, he it's Thanksgiving Day and he's like, OK, I'm going to brine this turkey. You go out and pick up the pies. All right. That's easy enough for me. I can't cook a tuna sandwich. So I'm just I'm driving around. I go to the pie place, pick up the pies. I come back home. We're talking 20 minutes. No one else is out. There's no traffic or anything. So I'm in and out. I come back and my hands are full. I've got four pies. And so I'm kicking at the front door because it's locked and I need him to let me in. So I kick, kick, (laughs) kick and nothing happens. And so I kick, kick, kick again. And then I see the little curtain on our door flip up and just one eyeball peer in like like a Tyrannosaurus Rex (laughs) in Jurassic Park. Just one suspicious looking eye. And he sees it's me and he unlocks the door. And I walk in, and he is in his underwear, completely shiny. (laughs) And his side of the story is, he attempted to brine the turkey on his own. Oh, no. And we're serving 20 people, so it's a big turkey, which I guess means a lot of brine. And he's pouring it into some sort of brining bag. And the bag collapses and spills turkey brine all over our kitchen into the door of the oven. Like, you can still see crystallized brine in the window of the oven door. And so he's got, like, you know, salmonella contamination, turkey, hot turkey water all over the kitchen. And so he's trying to clean it up because he's got this whole Thanksgiving dinner and he's cleaning and cleaning and he moves from one side of the kitchen to the other and he realizes that he's got himself covered as well. So anywhere he goes is just getting recovered in turkey bride. And so what else do you do? You strip down your underwear. (laughs) And start cleaning up turkey bride in your underwear <laughs> at two hours before 18 of our closest oh friends are coming over to the house. I lied. That's my nightmare. <laughs> I was going to say, that is it. That is uh, the nightmare. Uh, I, you, I, I wish you could see it from my perspective. I leave the house. He's dressed for Thanksgiving. He's got his apron on. Everything's fine. I come back and he is and he, shiny and sticky and in his underwear. God, Breaking Bad. While you're yes, he, he was a full Breaking Bad situation in my house. Wow. Oh, That's man. Great. Anyway, you could cut that one out. I just thought it was a really no, good story, too, that I just great. remembered. That's great. Thank I, you. I think that means that you win. Yeah. Oh no! Uh, oh goodness! I couldn't. Absolutely, of course, Joe's gonna win. I've had a crush on him for twenty years, <laughs> or however long it's or been. However long it's been. Right, right. You know, approximately that long. <laughs> we don't know. There's no There's way, no to, way tell. to tell. <laughs> anyway, sorry to do no, the podcast with a brightening story. Good. All right, now is the point in our podcast where we decide whether this movie is progressive or regressive. Is this a step forward or a step back for fearless women in front of and behind the camera? Joe, what say you? 
I'm going to say progressive. I think, uh, you know, something we didn't really talk about because it's not a huge portion of the movie is the the sort of romance in the movie is not the main event. Mm-hmm. You know, I feel any sort of lesser movie would would be a rom-com and there'd be all these wacky characters while these two people try and get together. But uh, But I think it's the other way around in this movie. You've got you know, at the forefront, all of this sort of family dysfunction and love and annoyance. And then, oh, yeah, we also have a little bit of a romance in here. I think that was a great part. You know, that's not something you'd necessarily see in a in a female-led movie. Um, I think the relationship with Claire Danes and Holly Hunter, again, is sort of more progressive than regressive. You know, it's, it's not the usual thing you would see. You, you know, normally you'd see a mom trying to talk her daughter out of it or, or 100% freak out about it or something like that. So, um, yeah, I'm going to say progressive. Awesome. Aizen, what about you? While I did not like this movie particularly, um, <laughs> I, I hundred percent agree with Joe. Um, and as I was watching it, I, I, I sort of took that note as well, that the, the romance was not the, um, centerpiece, if you will. Um, and that, uh, the characters are are either, you know, from my perspective, not likable at all, or um, you know, complex enough that that they're um allowed to be um, you know, obnoxious and terrible and and whatever. Um, and then, and I I do think Jodie Foster did a fantastic job um getting all those um amazing actors together to um you know sort of pull off this turkey fest um and so while it's not my cup of tea i'm not going to um you know penalize it just because i i don't particularly want to watch it again i think um based on kind of the criteria that that we set up um i think sure it is you know it had uh, it was progressive enough to to tip the scale in that direction how about you tobe yeah no surprise i'm gonna be three for three here I'm going to focus on the fact that we have um, so many major female characters in this movie who feel as though they are their own characters and they're allowed to fight with one another and to hold their ground with one another and to uh, have opinions that we disagree with and have opinions that we agree with. And I think that, I think that that's, um, that'll, if that, if that alone was, if, if, if that was all there was, I would say that this movie was a step forward, but then the idea that you have Jodie Foster, who by the time this movie comes out had won two Oscars for acting and had, had, had made one movie with the, (laughs) Uh, yeah, uh, the uh, oh god, I forgot his name again. Oh, Harry, Harry Connick Jr. Jr. I, I get Robert Downey Jr. Tune in Kate Spud's <laughs> newest podcast, <laughs> Harry Connick Talk with Iceland and Joe. The Connick of it all. Debut. Oh, I love Ooh, that. The Connick of it all. Ooh, that is good. That is good. Yeah, <laughs> January 2019. That'll be premiering. So mark your calendars. So she made she made the Little Man Tate, which she starred in as a way to get that movie made the same year that Silence of the Lambs comes out, and she wins her second. Oscar. And then, and then she, she's, this is her, this is her taking control of her career in a different kind of way and making a movie that nobody else wanted to make uh, a movie that, that almost didn't get made at, or that, that, that one studio that was set up at declined to make, like she, she sort of fought to get this movie made and to make it on her own terms and for a, for a small enough budget that she could do that. And I'm, I'm really glad she did because I think it shows off um, her work with actors and her ability to modulate a story. And I, I say for that as well as all the women characters, this is definitely a step forward. 
Island, what are we going to watch next? Well, I am excited to announce that um, coming in two weeks on November 27th, we will be discussing Whip It, the 2009 uh, Drew Barrymore directed roller derby film. Excellent. Excellent. Um, the I, I've never seen that. I'm really looking forward to it. Um, this is sort of a back-to-back uh, actors turned directors uh, episode. Exactly. Um, another thing to mention is that for our Christmas episode, we have an episode that will that will drop on Christmas Day. And so um, uh, we didn't we didn't acknowledge that this movie that we watched today was a, a, a holiday themed movie for Thanksgiving. This episode comes out uh, is our episode that comes out before Thanksgiving. And Eisen does not like holiday themed episodes. And so we are not going to do that anymore. But instead, we are going to watch a, a scary movie for Christmas. And we're going to have a, a poll on Twitter to help us choose, where you can help us choose which movie we're going to watch. So uh, go find us at, um, at uh, contenders underscore pod on Twitter and uh, find the poll and vote with us. We're, we're, you're going to choose between Mama hereditary or the babadook those are the three mm. that we are um uh more sort of more contemporary horror movies that women-led horror movies that we are going to choose between that island has agreed to do a scary movie for christmas uh, how you how do you feel about that Island? are you still uh, are you still up for that i'm absolutely still up for it um the regret doesn't set in until i press play <laughs> Uh, if it helps, I don't remember any meat-related trauma in these films. Okay, that does help. Thank you, Joe. <laughs> hey, Joe, thanks so much for, uh, for oh my joining gosh, us here. This has been so much fun. <laughs> Thank you both. I love it. Is there? Uh, if you, do you want to be found online? If so, where can people find you? And, and yeah, where, where do people look for you? Uh, yeah, I guess if you want to see me retweet smarter and funnier people than myself, I'm uh, at Joe Bolamba on Twitter. Uh, yeah, that's about it. Cool. Uh, you can find me on Twitter at Tobin Addington. You can find me on Twitter at Sassy Nerd MT, and you can find Joe and me at the Conic of it all. Your <laughs> 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 podcast feed soon. Tobin thinks we're joking, but we are not oh, joking. I, I, I know I've never been more serious. I know you both well enough to know this is no joke. <laughs> <laughs> uh, and you can find us at facebook.com slash the contenders pod or on Twitter at contenders underscore pod. Give us a shout and please leave us a five-star review wherever you get your podcasts. We here at The Contenders are proud members of the Cage Club Podcast Network. You can explore all their great shows at cageclub.me and you can keep tabs on all the Cage Club happenings on Twitter at cageclubpod. As always, thank you so much for listening. I am Tobin Addington. I'm Joe Bolenbaugh. And I'm Aislinn Addington. We'll see you next time on The Contenders. Whip it is from 2009. Okay, let me just change that now so that I don't forget. Uh, whip it. <laughs> whip it. Whip it. Uh huh. By Dame Drew Barrymore. <laughs> oh, she's a demon. Okay. I'm Aislinn Addington.
And I am Tobin Addington. And tonight on the oh, tonight today, what? Where are we? Let me try that again. <clears throat> See? <laughs> It's a great start. <laughs> yeah, Best you really, time on. You really don't know what you've gotten into here, have you? Okay. <laughs> <laughs>